the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoshio Podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL.com and on the app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. How you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Some sun, some clouds. Nice day today. 69 for the high. Sky is clearing up tonight. Down to 40 for the low. And then tomorrow, let's do it again, shall we? And more sunshine in the picture for tomorrow. With a high near 70. Sixers lost a tough one last night. They were up and then they fell behind in the fourth quarter and wound up losing to Denver 114-110. Sixers head coach Doc Rivers talking about that. You know, listen, we I, I thought that there is true. They moved the ball. They beat us down the court. Their transition game just crushed us tonight. And that's been one of our weaknesses. That's what's disappointing. Last night, first half, I think Orlando had 32 points in transition or whatever. Uh, I thought that created a lot of their baskets tonight. And it's something we just have to get better at, at doing. And then I, I thought offensively, though we did miss a lot of shots, I still think we got to get the ball moving again. I thought we were so prepared, and you could see at the beginning of the game, for all the traps, all the movements, we got everything we wanted. And as the game went on, it just dissipated. You know, uh, we are a one-action team, and that's something we can't be offensively. I get it. We did miss a lot of open shots. I thought those open shots had been more open if we got to the second actions, and we didn't do that most of the night. Sixers head coach Doc Rivers, newly acquired superstar James Harden, had 24 points in the loss, 11 assists, 9 rebounds, so almost a triple-double, and he talked about how uh, he thinks he did. Not great. They tried me basically the whole game. Uh, put two on the ball, pick and roll. You know, me you know, hitting Joe in the middle of the floor. We just didn't execute. Or we didn't make them pay consistent enough for them to get out of it. So they continue to do it the entire game. But, you know, every night is going to be different. Man. Teams are going to throw different things at us defensively. So we got to, you know, figure it out. And hopefully, you know, these next 15 games, we'll see enough to where we know when teams start doing certain things, uh, how to execute and how to uh, take advantage of it. James Harden of the Sixers. They were led by Joel Embiid, who had 34 points. We moved the ball for a good part of that game. And then the fourth quarter started and, you know, with them trapping James and uh, them having someone at the nail waiting for me. We usually got to do a better job of playing together, just moving the ball. We got that lead by moving the ball, by being aggressive, attacking the rim, you know, finding each other, taking wide open shots. That's what we got to do. And obviously, offense wasn't really an issue. Defensively, we were just really bad, especially transition defense. Joel Embiid of the Sixers. They're at Cleveland tomorrow night at 7. Also working their way toward their preseason opener, the Philadelphia Phillies, and their manager, Joe Girardi, talking about how it was uh, not easy to not quite make the playoffs last year, and especially to watch the Atlanta Braves and their division go on to win the World Series. Through the playoffs, um, the whole time that the playoffs, and then when it kind of subsides, you know, you're – your mind turns sometimes away from baseball a little bit. I mean, it's hard not to watch all the games on TV and see that, you know, you were just playing against the Atlanta Braves and 
you know, they go on and win the World Series, and congratulations to them. They had to earn it, and they went out and earned it. But for that whole month, it's pretty difficult. I'm able to compartmentalize a lot of things because I've had to do it as a husband and, and a father. But I don't like seeing other teams on when I think it should be our team. I can tell you that. Phillies manager Joe Girardian. It's a new season. Again, this Friday, they get things rolling with uh, Detroit. And opening day, I think, is April 7th. Also, on the Save the Children scoreboard, we're up to 28 children now covered and 172 to go. We're looking to rescue children suffering from severe acute malnutrition. A one-time gift of $60 takes care of that. Or if you prefer to spread it out, $5 a month for the next year or whatever. It works both ways. In fact, there are folks I know who would like to do more. And spreading it out over the course of the year can work. You want to do $10 a month, that would cover two children. Or say $30 a month would cover six. Whatever it is, you can do that at 855-863-5492, 855-863-5492, or WFIL.com. Scott Wilder from Save the Children joined us a couple of times earlier in the month. And this is just, it's a little bit graphic, but it's important to know this is what we're dealing with. If you see a child that is severely malnourished, uh, it's stark. It really is stark when you see it. I mean, the the sort of quintessential look of the distended belly or the real big belly. And you say, well, that must mean that they're, they're, they're full. No, it's not. Their organs are all freaked out. Their organs are shutting down. They're losing their hair. Their hair is coloring, uh, is, is changing colors. Even their skin begins to get a different color to it it's kind of a patchy or blotchiness um and so it, once it gets to that point it is very very tough and we've seen and i've seen when you go to they have one of the ways that they check on a child under the age of two about whether they're severely malnourished is there's this little it's like a it's a paper tape you know, measuring tape and they put it around the child's arm above the elbow on the right side so basically where your Popeye muscle is, you yeah. know, right there. So below the shoulder, obviously, and above the elbow. And um, so many times, if you put just right now, put your two fingers together, your forefinger and your middle finger, and then pinch, uh, pinch them together at the top. A two-year-old child, their arm is smaller than that. Whatever that, you put a piece of thread around it, that, that is how small, including the bone that the child has. They really look like... Uh, they look actually like, and I don't mean to to be provocative, but they really look like skeletons with dark uh, sheets of skin draped over them. Um, it is very, very stark. Their eyes are lightless. They're lifeless. Their jaw is that very razor-sharp jaw. The neck uh, can barely even hold their head up. In fact, many times when a mother will be carrying her child, and again, the mother is not getting out of a bus, she's not getting out of a car, she's not getting off a motorcycle or a, or a scooter, she has walked most times hours and hours holding her baby. And it looks as she is, the little child's arm is kind of flopped down and moving back and forth with the motion of the mother as she's walking barefoot because she has no shoes. Uh, toward this makeshift hospital. And when she hands the child over, she says, I think he's dying. And she just puts, drops down to her knees and puts her head in her hands and just cries. I mean, her tears are just going into the dirt. I've seen it a hundred times. And in every single case, there is a save the children person there waiting with the ability, if, if it's possible, certainly, uh, to stabilize that child, get their uh, you know, their lungs working right, 
Make sure they're not dehydrated. Ultimately, Plumpy Nut will help that child gain weight. And that's what you're providing today. Plumpy Nut is that uh, peanut-based food that we've talked about on the air. And uh, it's it's easy to use. It doesn't have to be refrigerated. So, uh, and, and, and it can get 500 calories. Just one of these packets it packs a punch. So it, there's a lot right about it. Do what you can. If you can't do $60, then do 10 And uh, others will do 10 or 20 and it'll add up. So you're helping stabilize a child and get that little boy or girl on a path to, uh, to, to wellness, really. But you have to start right where they are. And so thanks to all who have helped out, those who yet will. This is part of what WFL is all about. If you have listened to the station any length of time, you're well aware of that. We're very grateful for the opportunity to work with Save the Children. One more time to help out. Uh, either go to our website, WFIL.com. There's a little scoreboard there. We try to update that and give you context on how things are going. We can't save everybody, but let's do what we can. Or we're willing to go way past the goal, but a couple hundred children would be a wonderful thing. You can also call 855-863-5492, 855-863-5492. We update that scoreboard about once a day as we get reports from Save the Children. And then uh, we don't get them over the weekend, but we do get them Monday morning and so keep looking there. Most importantly, do what you can and, and help out. Again, $60 one time covers a child or $5 a month for the year. You want to do more than that. You know, if you do $50 a month for the year, you take care of, I guess that's 10 children. Yeah. So anywhere, whatever you want to do, that's all great. We have a fine program uh, coming along, continuing along here. In a moment, I want to play back for you a conversation I had with John Oates of Philadelphia's own Daryl Hall and John Oates. He's in Phoenixville tomorrow night doing a concert. In addition to all the pop music he's done, he and Daryl Hall, uh, the number one uh, duo of all time in terms of the albums they've sold. I think it's 80 million. They uh, do work separately. And John has done seven, I think, solo albums. And he has a really cool show. I actually bought the live stream and watched it Sunday night with my wife and kids, and it's Almost completely family-friendly. Just a couple of little moments where it's not. But it really, uh, the music is so good. It's blues. It's bluegrass. I want to play a sample of that for you in a moment, plus the conversation with John. Uh, also looking forward to a couple of special guests joining us uh, today. Hanako Greensmith, who plays paramedic Violet Mikami on Chicago Fire, which airs Wednesdays, is going to be our guest. And Dan Barkowiak with Pennsylvania Family Institute is going to join our program as well. They do a lot of fine work, and they're uh, in, you know, involved in court cases all the time. And there's one involving uh, the state of uh, legalization of marijuana in Pennsylvania. Specifically, we're going to be talking about, including a case that happened just yesterday. So that and whatever else we can jam in here, it's Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Thanks for listening today. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. AM560 WFIL.com on the app. It's Tim DeMoss Show. It's a song that during his video concert Sunday night, John Oates said has now reached a billion streams. He says, I never thought I would actually use that phrase, the word billion, next to any of the songs I've done. But along with John, uh, John Oates, along with Daryl Hall, the number one duo of all time in terms of sales they had other songs along the way like i can't go for that and sarah smile and many others and john joined us on the program so i want to play that back for you here uh, partly in case you're interested in checking out his concert which is tomorrow night in phoenixville i was thinking of taking my wife to that and then we wound up 
just getting the stream of the concert, which was this past Sunday. Really enjoyed the music, even though a lot of what they did is pop. And earlier in his life did other styles of music, and including blues, and re- kind of returned to that with some of the solo work he's done. He has an album called Arkansas. And so let me just play this uh, conversation back for you, and I'm going to play a sample of that music for you on the back end of a song called Lord Send Me. This is our chat with John Oates as we brought him in and asked how he was doing. Hey, Tim. How's Philly? Wonderful. Thanks for taking some time. It's uh, nice to have that local connection. Sure. How, how Off the bat, I was just trying to think of, I know you were, I guess you were born in New York, but you've also spent a lot of time in Philly, and now you're in Nashville and other places. How much time were you in Philly over the, over the years? Oh, well, actually, you know, I was born in New York, but I moved, we moved to Pennsylvania when I was four years old. Okay. So I grew up, I grew up in Pennsylvania in, in a little town called North Wales, which is not such a little town anymore. It used to be in the old days. Um, and about 25 miles, you know, north of Philly. And then, of course, I went to Temple University and spent some time in Center City area uh, during that period of time. That's so. great. Yeah, North Wales is very close to here, to our station. So that's kind of neat. That's great. Well, we're excited because you're coming back uh, doing a show in Phoenixville, which is not that far from there either, uh, on, the, on the 16th of this month, among other things you're doing. Tell us about the show. What's in store for the evening? Well, you know, um, I, I wanted to start it off uh, in the Philadelphia area cause, uh, for, for a lot of reasons. One, I've got a lot of friends and family and fans there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my dad's still there. He's 98 years old, and he's still he's going to come to the show. Wow. I don't know how many more times he might be able to make it, so I'm kind of excited about that. But uh, yeah, it's always great to play in the Philadelphia area because, you know, that's it is what it is. So uh, people relate to the music that I've made over the years in a, in a different way, in a special way. So so it's going to be awesome. And, uh, you know, we, um, we're doing an acoustic show. It's very singer-songwriter in style. We tell stories about, uh, how you know, where the songs came from. And, and really what I do is I... I, I kind of go over the music and, and touch on the music that made me who I am. A lot of that music is directly related to the Philadelphia area. Because when I was a kid, you know, uh, I went to the Philadelphia Folk Festival, which is, uh, you know, basically over 50 years now it's been going on. And I got to sit, you know, on the grass in front of some of the greatest roots and uh, blues and folk musicians who were being rediscovered during the folk revival in the early 60s. And at the same time, you know, I was going to the Uptown Theater on North Broad Street and seeing some of the greatest R&B performers who, uh, you know, I mean, I saw I saw Stevie Wonder play Fingertips when he was 12 years old. I saw, you know, Sam and Dave and, you know, and Otis Redding and James Brown. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was the most amazing place. Philadelphia was the most amazing place to grow up uh, in that that uh, period of time and so i had all these incredible influences all blended together and really what it did was it opened my mind to the fact that music has no borders you know it's it's genres don't mean anything it's all about you know it's all, all about the authenticity and the fact that all this great music really became the building blocks for rock and roll for what what became you know american popular music yeah no i love that i love that uh, and and as far as the set list are you pretty sure you know where you want to go with everything is it meticulously laid out or is it kind of open-ended a bit to, to as the it's, a, it's, a, it's a meticulously laid out open-ended project <laughs> right i can see that <laughs> well if folks want to get a little heads uh, head start, I should say, on preparing for the show, uh, whether they go to the live stream, which is on Sunday the 13th, uh, mandolin.com, I think it is, or to Phoenixville, or if they want to travel up and down the coast because you're doing some other shows, is there a, a best p- 
post Daryl Hall, John Oates, because uh, they can, I'm sort of familiar with that, but is there some music you've done, the solo albums, that they should start with to kind of warm up to the show? Sure, if they want to dig in. I mean, I've got seven solo albums. You can, yeah. you can dig in all you want. Uh, you know, uh, the last album I did in 2018 is called Arkansas, and I do do a lot of songs from the Arkansas album. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a really... The album started out as going to be a tribute to Mississippi John Hurt, who I first saw in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Folk Festival and at the great coffee houses like the Main Point and Bryn Mawr and, and the Second Fret in downtown Philly that were going on at the time. Um, but as the album evolved, it became a snapshot of the early days of American uh, popular music. So um, it's really the backbone of, of what I'm doing in this solo show with Guthrie Trap. And then we, you know, then it evolves, and I do some of the more recent, you know, songs that are I've recent, I've written more recently. And then, of course, we do some Hall and Oates hits, of course, that are, you know, kind of reimagined in an acoustic way. By the way, I had heard someone tell me, uh, technically, people, at least you and Daryl, had wanted to be known as Daryl Hall and John Oates. And for obvious reasons, it's quicker to just say Hall and Oates. Is it? Is it? Most most appropriate if people have the time to say the entire Daryl Hall and John Oates when referring to you guys. Well, you know, if you look at our albums, you can look at any one of our albums from the very beginning. And from the beginning, it said Daryl Hall and John Oates. There's not one album that has ever said Hall and Oates. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, is that we, we perceive ourselves as two independent, creative individuals who work together. And when we don't work together, we work separately. And that's, that's, been, a, that's been a very important uh, part of our career, and it's happening right now. Daryl's going to do a tour. He's working, doing some things with Todd Rundgren, uh, and I'm doing this acoustic tour. So this is a, I think it's part of the reason that we're still able to work together is that we've given ourselves the creative freedom to work separately. That's fantastic. And Todd, of course, a local guy too from uh, Upper Darby. So that's a, that's a neat connection there. One last thing for you, John Oates, uh, kind enough to spend a little time with us today on the Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL in Philadelphia. I know you're involved with some charity work too. I just want to give you a minute to share about, you know, what, what you're passionate about in addition to the music. Well, you know, uh, you know, my wife and I have always, you know, we, Darryl, of course, Daryl and I have been involved in a million uh, fundraising things. You know, we are the world live aid. You know, we, we've always done shows in New York city for the, uh, for the uh, for for toys for tots and various things, uh, you know I don't want to brag about that stuff. And during COVID, my wife and I um, were, we became very aware of the food insecurities and the fact that American families uh, were having trouble, you know, getting feeding their families. And we we got involved with Feeding America, which is a great organization. And we put together a, a telethon, no, not a telethon, an online concert where we invited a lot of our my musical friends to um, to submit a song. And we've had we had such great response from all these amazing artists. And uh, the result were that people uh, donated money. It was a free concert, but you could donate. And uh, we generated enough money to generate 450,000 meals. So very wow. proud of that. My wife, my, my wife and I produced it, and um, it was a real labor of love. So. Still wait for people to view that and donate if they want to? Do you know? Unfortunately, no. It was uh, because of the music business and, and licensing yeah. restrictions. We weren't able to uh, to uh, archive it and uh, show it again, which is a shame because it was a one and done kind of thing. But okay. that was just the, the only way we could pull it off. John, no, it's it's so uh, great to make your acquaintance. And uh, my dad's ninety four next week, and uh, he calls it advanced middle age. So God bless you and your dad too. At ninety eight, that's great. There you go. Thanks, John. Well, all right, man. Thank Have a great you. Great day. Bye bye.
That was John Oates on the Tindemoss Show. I guess it's about uh, 10 days ago or so. And again, he's going to be in Phoenixville live tomorrow night. But he was uh, did an, like a stream thing this past Sunday, which our family just we, I put my 20 bucks down, whatever, and watched. And uh, it really was something because the musical side is it was it was him and the and the guitar player from Nashville. And they just sat and played, talked. But it was mostly about the music and they did different styles. And so from that Arkansas album, here's a little sample. Uh, they didn't play this in the concert, but this is this kind of music and and left and right of it as well. This is Lord Send Me, John Oates of Daryl Hall and John Oates on the Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL. Here am I, alone. AM560, WFIL.com on the app. Lord Send Me, it's John Oates of Daryl Hall and John Oates. Again, in concert tomorrow night in Phoenixville from his Arkansas album. Quick break. Actress... Hanako Greensmith, who plays paramedic Violet Makami from uh, Chicago Fire. Going to be joining us next in WFIL. It's Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for hanging out. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It is 431 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Looking forward to Dan Barkowiak with Pennsylvania Family Institute joining us in just a little while. But before that, we have a very special guest who plays paramedic Violet Makami on Chicago Fire, Hanako Greensmith. And uh, Hanako on the program today. How are you? Hey, Tim. I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Is your brain on Chicago Fire at this point with all the interviews you're doing? Oh, yeah, totally. You're my uh, you're my last one. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, brain is definitely feeling a little fried, but I'll give you my best. No, that's great. I did a career day at a local high school recently. I had nine minutes to share the amazingness of radio with one group of students and then another group and then another group for two straight hours. And after a while, I really wasn't sure what day it was. So I can, <laughs> I can empathize. Oh, it's definitely harder than what I'm doing. Uh, no, that's good. Well, thank you for taking time to chat. Of course, you play paramedic uh, Violet McCommy on the show Chicago Fire in its 10th season, right? You first appeared in season eight a little bit, and then quite a bit more in nine, and now are a regular. Take a second, share about that progression, if you would, how you first got on the show, and why you think your character has grown to the point where it is now. Yeah, so season eight I came on to play, uh, remember the audition was a character that was going to appear for two episodes, and I was going to be playing Gallo's new love interest. And I guess that went well enough for the writers, and I had a blast doing it. And so then I kind of came back for a little bit more season eight. And then season nine, unfortunately, uh, their newer paramedic decided to leave Firehouse 51 and transfer. And so I stepped in, and Violet's kind of been getting to know the Firehouse 51 family since then. And this season, now with her full being a, a really being a, a full season regular, we get to see her kind of dive into her talents and dive into some complexities that come with some new relationships she's formed both in and outside of Firehouse 51. When it comes to your character, um, at least so far, how much of it is, this is what the script says, uh, take as directed, literally, or for lack of a better term, and how much of it's fluid where you're starting to own the character in a way that the writer starts seeing what you think it should be going and what you should be doing and and maybe start going a little different direction or or emphasizing things that, that they seem to see as your strengths? pretty 50 50 um our writers are pretty diligent in wanting their work the way that it's written which i completely understand and respect yeah. so i think it's kind of um it's a bit of a give and take from both sides uh, i obviously will always stay true to what they've written but if there's a certain kind of way that you can say something like you mentioned or there's a certain way you can maybe impose 
that your character has a point of view on something in a way that it isn't necessarily write into the script. It's fun seeing how the writers kind of take that information and like weave that into what I think creates your character as you go through the show. Yeah, and as I'm thinking uh, for your character, uh, if I'm you, like there's got to be certain things you have to do to prepare to do your job well. Even just familiarity with the craft uh, or, or the or the trade, being a paramedic and familiar with Chicago and all of that. How much of that has has already happened for you where you feel comfortable in those things uh, and how much does you still have to learn yet? Uh, well, I'm very grateful to say that we've got some really awesome paramedics that we work with who are affiliated with the show. And so that really helps with getting us familiar and comfortable with a lot of the procedural aspects of what we have to do. Um, but I mean, there are still, there's still so much that I don't know, seeing as I am just, I am just an actor and I am not a real first responder. <laughs> so yeah. There's definitely a lot of material that I don't know a lot about, but I'm very grateful to know what I do now. Have you uh, found that fans of Chicago Fire tend to also be fans of all the Chicago shows, or do they tend to gravitate toward one more than another? I'm not familiar with that the culture of it, per se. Well, I think it varies. Um, yeah, we definitely have some loyal Fire fans that I have uh, seen on the interwebs, but uh, there are also quite a few people who are happy to tune in to like the one night, one family, one Chicago each Wednesday. You know, it's a three-hour marathon, and some people, for them, that's what they look forward to every Wednesday. And so I appreciate the commitment from those folks, too. Yeah, you even had a chance to be on, I guess, was it Chicago Med one year, uh, one episode? So you know a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah, last season I was so excited because I had, I had never worked on something other than fire, especially in Chicago. Um, within this universe, and so, uh, and I also got to work with Ryan T, which was really exciting too, because he's the only other Asian character in the Chicago universe, and he's been such a prominent and important one in that time. So getting to work alongside him was such a treat, and also just getting to work with some more blood and guts. That was a really bloody uh, <laughs> organ focused. But a lot of the special effects really crushed at that episode. That's funny. You know, uh, chatting with uh, Hanukkah Greensmith, who plays paramedic Violet Mikami in Chicago Fire. And speaking of which, Mikami is a Japanese name. Is that right? Yeah, you're uh, exactly right. Which is your, is that your heritage, if I have my facts straight? Yeah, absolutely. My mom is Japanese. Okay. My wife is Brazilian, although she's now an American citizen. And every now and again, the Brazilian culture manifests itself in our home. We just had a great Brazilian meal last night. Um, do you have an aspect of Japanese culture that, that comes into play? I'm thinking everyday life that, that, you know, living in America, I guess, but does it still happen for you at times? Well, you know, I was just seeing my mom and, uh, I have to say living in, they live in Los Angeles now, although I grew up in New York, um, and Los Angeles, there are so many Asian Americans and so many Japanese Americans there that it's so fun being there and just seeing how much that culture is such a part of the Los Angeles day to day. Uh, it's not quite the same on the East Coast or in the Midwest. Um, so I can't say that I really get to participate in my Japanese culture as much day-to-day -day here, but definitely more there on the West Coast with my mom. Is it important to you, too? I, I didn't want to assume anything, because I, I wonder sometimes folks, whatever the culture might be or the heritage, that it might be very important to them. And, and on the other side, uh, or and, and like you were mentioning professionally uh, a moment ago, but also at the same time I could see how an actor would want to just be like, I'm just – I'm doing this role, and this is who I am, and it's not about necessarily the heritage or, or, or my background. How about for you? Does it, is it, is it important to you, or does it depend? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think people should necessarily, I mean, depending on the circumstance, people shouldn't feel so limited by what it is that they can do. I don't necessarily want to only play Japanese characters. But I will say, when I first came on the show, my name was actually Violet Lin. Right. But it was never mentioned. She never said my last name. I was always just Violet. 
And so when I came on season nine in a more serious capacity, Derek actually gave me a call and he was like, hey, so we've never said your last name on the show. And I was just thinking, I realized you're Japanese. Do you want a character that's Japanese? Do you want to play that? And my heart exploded. I was like, yes, I would love to play a half Japanese character. I never have gotten the opportunity to play someone so close to my own heritage. So if I have the opportunity to, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. So that's, that's something I think, uh, I guess, yeah, that's something that's aligned with what I would like to do, but I'm not necessarily tied to that. Okay. No, that's very interesting. And you mentioned uh, your mom and your dad. Just share about them for a minute, too. Their influence on you, whether it's personally or professionally. I know there's a musical background involved that you dabbled in some and and have done a lot of other things along the way, too. Yeah. Both of my parents are classical musicians. My dad plays the cello. My mom plays the violin. Uh, A bunch of other family members as well are musicians. So they've definitely been a huge part of my being brought into the artistic hemisphere of the world, and I'm, I'm so grateful to them for that. Um, but I definitely was happy to go into acting because it was something that they didn't totally understand and didn't necessarily have too much of an opinion on because they didn't know anything about it. So it was kind of something that was uniquely mine. But they've been so supportive and so wonderful, and I'm, I'm so lucky to have parents that really understand the trials and tribulations that come with being an artist, I suppose. Yeah. Do you, do you actually, uh, did you pick up enough uh, or some cello or some violin when you were younger? Or do you ever do that at this point? Yeah. This, yeah. yeah, I played cello all throughout middle school, end of elementary school, and high school as well. Wow. Um, so unfortunately, I'm incredibly rusty by this point. Um, <laughs> but yes, I played it growing up. <laughs> That's uh, Lugging that around. Must, my kids all play music. They played piano and drums and things like that. It's fun to grow up in a household like that. So. Um, yeah, don't let them no, no, they love it. We have informal jam sessions all the time. Our kids are twenty-three down to eleven, and and they all love grabbing something before long stuff's happening. So I, I really like that a lot. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, on Instagram I saw a photo of you and a beautiful dog uh, who looks a lot like the spitting Im- uh, spit image of our dog Moose. Is yours a chocolate lab by chance? Oh, that's such a good name, Moose. Uh, <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> He we uh, he's actually a breed called a legato romaniolo. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Italian breed. Yeah, we got him I think in Connecticut and I actually just went to go see him in LA. He's about to turn 16 years old. So, yeah. Wow. Long, I know. It's pretty incredible. What's his name? His name's Nino. Nino. That's cool. That's great. How to go? It's great talking <laughs> with you. Last quick question. Just, uh, you know, as you grow and as your roles grow and as you are doing this more professionally longer and, and your circles grow, how do you stay grounded? I would think it'd be easy to maybe lose your bearings, too, a little bit just because things grow so fast. Totally. I think the thing that's kind of kept me grounded and humbled is honestly honoring and respecting so many of the friendships that have gotten me to this point, the relationships in my life, the people who have supported me in times where things were nowhere near as cheery as they are now. So I think keeping in touch with those people and honoring them is the biggest thing that's kept me grounded in this time. That's great. Well, it's great to make your acquaintance, Hanukkah. Thank you for taking time today. And again, uh, Wednesday nights, including tomorrow night, Chicago Fire, 9 o'clock Eastern. And if there's ever a time they should leave with Central, it would be for Chicago Fire, I would think, 8 o'clock Central, 9 o'clock Eastern. In any case, thanks for taking time with us today. And uh, God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Tim. You too. Thanks for chatting with me. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Hanako Greensmith, who plays paramedic Violet Mikami on Chicago Fire. Quick break. And then we have one more special guest joining us, Dan Barkowiak from Pennsylvania Family Institute, on the latest happenings with regards to the possibility of 
uh, marijuana and uh, legalizing it. There's been uh, several cases in the month of February and into March about that. And Dan deals with this sort of thing, a lot of other policy issues and and things that matter to Pennsylvanians. So we'll hear what he has to say. I like having him on the program because he's very current and he's on top of all this stuff. So we'll uh, have Dan check in here in just a moment. Tim DeMoss Show, WFIL. Thank you for listening in today. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It is 445 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. And as I mentioned before the break, we're bringing on a special guest today, Dan Barkoyak with Pennsylvania Family Institute. Dan, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. Always good to be with you, Tim. You too. I, I love having you on because you know what you're talking about and you're very current. And uh, we love to have uh, good info to pass along to the listeners. So uh, before we kind of dig into the, the topic at hand that m- most recently, just take a moment and let folks know maybe this is the first day they ever listened to the station or this show and, uh, and certainly haven't heard you in the number of times you've been on before. Uh, what, what do you do? What, what does your typical day look like? Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I serve as Director of Communications for Pennsylvania Family Institute. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization based in Harrisburg, and we look to strive to strengthen families. Uh, it's it's getting involved in policies that are happening uh, in debating here in Harrisburg. Uh, we also have a, a law center that serves pro bono clients on a variety of religious freedom issues. Uh, we connect with churches and, and different groups from around the state, ultimately, again, to, to strengthen the family. And uh, certainly an issue like uh, a push for harmful and addictive marijuana use for recreational purposes is something that uh, is absolutely harmful to the family and uh, yeah. advocacy against. So yesterday, was it yesterday that was the third? There were three hearings on the topic in the last six weeks or something, right? Uh, take your time, kind of unpack that a little bit. What's What's been happening timeline-wise? Yeah, there's certainly been there have been three hearings as part of the Senate Law and Justice Committee. And an overarching theme, and, and one uh, that I'll point to is, is in Penn Live, uh, the, the newspaper in central Pennsylvania, you know, pointed at a headline saying the the panel that's exploring this has been criticized for not hearing both sides. And I think that's accurate. When we see these three hearings, uh, it has been very one-sided. So the first hearing was at the start of February, focused on law enforcement. And uh, it had security officers with the marijuana industry, uh, yet the PA chiefs of police was denied the opportunity to testify. They actually at the time were denied even written testimony being provided to the committee. Wow. And uh, the Fraternal Order of Police wasn't invited. So you, did, you had no law enforcement association that was part of a hearing that was focused on law enforcement. So if, so if marijuana became you know, legal, what would they have to go through as as law enforcement on a day-to-day basis? What kind of challenges would they face? That testimony didn't get brought into play. Right. I think certainly their voice should be part of this discussion because of the impact that they will see on communities and what they will have to deal with uh, with a rise in use and availability of harmful, high-potency marijuana products. So their voice should have been part of this discussion, yet it was not. And then we get into the second hearing, and it was focused on other states and legalizing in other states. And I kind of expected, and I think many would have, uh, uh, government officials from those states that regulate the product uh, would have testified, yet there was not only were not there no government officials, but it was all the marijuana industry. So those that profit directly from more use of this drug, frankly, if someone's addicted to this drug and buying it more, the industry is going to profit more. That's who testified, uh, was the three panels completely full 
of those that are going to profit more from this industry talking about what legalization should be. And it was all talk of we need to move as fast as possible and not have potency limits. I mean, there's THC marijuana products as high as 99% THC that are frankly very harmful to many users. And uh, they were all talking, can't have that, no local opt-outs, forcing local communities to have to have the sale of this drug in their neighborhood. Uh, these are things that, you know, uh, an industry would want, but when it comes to families in this, in this state, many are going to be concerned with those things, yet wow. that voice was not part of those hearings. And you would think and, that would make total sense. Obviously, you want to say, well, we're thinking about it. Let's see how it's done or, or what are some of the things we can learn from, from other states. You'd think the absolute person you definitely would want would be the people who are in charge of it from other states. And you're saying none of them were in the hearings that Pennsylvania was conducting. Sadly, it was not. That's it was, crazy. Uh, there were seven panelists. Five were from the marijuana industry, and two were, were lobby groups, advocates for uh, legalization. So okay. no government official. It was all those that, uh, frankly, trying to lobby this effort to get it passed. I'm and, sensing a theme. There was one more meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're gonna say, I was pretty shocked after the second hearing. I have to admit, after the third hearing, I was even more shocked. And the reason being is I was told we were trying to get some testifiers on to the, to the hearing to try to bring a diverse dialogue to, to share, share some of the harms and the concerns. Yeah. I was told that no advocacy groups would be allowed to testify. It was going to be focused on the Department of Health and how they, uh, the, those that are on the medical program, uh, how that impacts. And so no advocacy groups would be a part of it. I see the hearing, and the very first testifier is an advocacy group. Uh, Pennsylvania Cannabis Coalition, who frankly gave uh, Senator Regan a campaign contribution when he came out in favor of this legislation. They were the lead into the hearing of this third marijuana uh, uh, hearing. And Senator and, Regan's the one who's holding the, I mean, he's chairing these hearings? Yeah, so Senator Mike Regan is the chair hmm. of the Senate Law and Justice Committee, and okay. who has announced he's having legislation come up in June and has been behind these three hearings. And, again, I was told that no advocacy groups will be a part of this third hearing, yet we started with an advocacy group. And that supported him. Panel that supported him, yes, with a campaign huh. contribution. Okay. And then it ended with, a, with a, a, another advocacy group that actually had testified in the second hearing. So you had an advocacy group, normal, Come back for uh, seconds. Group that, that was allowed twice to testify, yet there was no health professionals no advocacy treatment specialists, no law enforcement associations, uh, no, frankly, voice that would bring up how marijuana is harmful and addictive and, and the concerns that taxpayers have throughout this state with legalization efforts. That voice was completely shut out. It was a complete one-sided affair with these three hearings. Folks, just tuning in. Dan Barkoyak is with us. He's director of communications for Pennsylvania Family Institute. And so, is it a bit of a runaway train? I mean, so it and it, it's bringing to mind some stuff that's happened over the last couple of years where it feels like sometimes things have been happening in government like they could uh, do whatever. And it, you say, what are you going to do about it? Uh, so I, I, I'm curious, as you've been covering a lot of cases, including this one, if, are you seeing some of that on a side note? Are you seeing that sometimes uh, folks in the office, I'm not even picking on a party because uh, Senator Regan's a, a Republican, is you know, one Republican or Democrat. That sometimes, just depending, they feel like they can get, for lack of a better term, get away with doing whatever they feel like because who's going to stop you? It seems weird that this would be this blatant and this this able to be happening, you know? 
Well, it certainly shows, I, I think, many of the lobby uh, that is part of, of this whole effort. There are many companies that would stand to profit, you know, the private investment that they're trying to make. Yeah. And so they're spending a lot to lobby uh, some of these elected officials. Now, I will say there's many elected officials, like a, a Senator Judy Ward, who's part of the committee, that had an excellent line of questioning and has been there voicing opposition. And there are many senators and, and representatives that would agree. And I think that's a voice coming from Pennsylvania citizens. Uh, that when you start to look at this issue, when you really get away from, you know, any of the lobby groups that will, you know, have their talking points, when you see, you know, their schools, my local school district just sent out an email talking about how they had vape pens uh, ending up with THC more so found throughout their school district. And the concerns there, you know, when it comes home, you look at the issue. Uh, Wall Street Journal just ran an article on how in legalized states for recreational use, they're seeing more teen use seeing more uses, obviously the availability increases, you're seeing some of the harms hit home for families. So when you really start to analyze and look, I mean, we have, I'll I'll say the need for a diverse discussion is needed because of uh, many of the misconceptions by our elected officials. Uh, It starts at the top. Governor Tom Wolf has said that marijuana, he can't see how marijuana is addictive. Uh, So he's, he's flat out said that marijuana is not addictive. That flies in the face of every type of science that has known this issue. I mean, CDC says one in 10 users become addicted, and it drops down to one in six if you start as a minor. It's absolutely a concern, especially for the high potency that we're seeing as of late, the concerns with marijuana use. And even the industry and some of the testimony admitted that science is still new on this. They're still trying to kind of catch up, especially with the high potencies, to learn about this. Yet you have those in the industry and others that are trying to move as fast as possible to legalize this harmful and addictive drug. So I think, again, when you really look at the issue, when you really understand, when you analyze what other states are doing and uh, the science behind it, you see the harms. You see that this is not something we want to rush into and, and subject Pennsylvania families to. Dan Barkowiak, our guest for a few moments here as we wrap the show up in a little bit here, uh, Director of Communications, Pennsylvania Family Institute. I would never venture to get into personally, like, knowing uh, rattling off things. Uh, I feel comfortable you doing it. But uh, one thing that comes up to mind, just briefly, uh, the difference between marijuana that you're talking about that trying to be you know, uh, made legal versus something like CBD. And again, this is not a commentary, but there's a very big difference because marijuana is a, right, is a plant and CBD is actually a, a compound in uh, cannabis or whatever. So it's like it, it, they're two different things. And again, not to comment too much, but any thoughts on that just in terms of educating people or clarifying what's really going on at the moment yeah. at least? Well, it's, it's a great question. I think people are asking that throughout the state. Certainly there's a lot of different compounds, as you said, different variants that we see. The, the, the big concern that is with us is with that THC element. So the, the mind-altering chemical that we've seen the evidence shown that uh, this does cause harm, that this does cause addiction. Yeah. And so that's the, the biggest concern. The, the kind of five-alarm fire right now is to say if you want to just open up the commercialized sale of this THC to have 99% potency, edibles, concentrates, vaping products. Those are things that is, is commercialized use is going to harm Pennsylvania families. So uh, there can be you know, differences in, in, in variants um, that can cause you know, some concerns, but absolutely the THC element of marijuana is the utmost concern, and especially with the capability that it has to mind alter and cause mental illness, uh, addictions, 
uh, just a variety of things. I mean, again, we see mainstream health recognizing it's a dangerous and an addictive drug, and it's something we absolutely should be moving as fast as possible, yet that's the testimony that we heard in Harrisburg this week. So, Dan, if folks want to kind of keep up on this, because you mentioned Senator Regan talking about trying to uh, get legislation introduced in a couple of months uh, or sooner even, just to keep their eye on that, to pray for it, to be informed, which is important, what's a good way for folks to do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's continuing this discussion and really pointing at uh, the many evidences to show the harms. And, and one way you can do so is certainly through our organization. Uh, our website, pafamily.org, uh, has a variety of, of details and studies and uh, ways that you can help talk about uh, this with family and uh, your friends, different communities, uh, to be able to address in an educated way uh, the many harms and addictions that result from marijuana use. So okay. we're continuing this dialogue, continue the discussion, continue to pray, certainly be in touch with your elected officials, especially when the legislation is out. Uh, it's contacting them to say this is not something we want to subject our, our family to. That's great, too. And, Dan, if I remember correctly, do you have a newsletter folks can uh, you know get info from you on a semi-regular basis or whatever? Yeah, we certainly, especially from emails, we send out a newsletter every week okay. uh, and trying to highlight the, the varieties of issues that we get involved in, including this one. So, uh, again, more details, uh, pafamily.org. That's great. Dan, it's great hearing from you. Thank you so much. You packed a lot. Very, very nutrient-dense conversation. <laughs> so, Always great having the discussion with you. And, uh, <laughs> always enjoy it. Thank you so much. We'll do it again. All right? Keep up the good work. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. It's Dan Barkowiak, Director of Communications, Pennsylvania Family Institute, uh, on the Tim DeMoss Show today. And, again, pafamily.org to find out more about this current uh, conversation on the marijuana hearings, as well as a lot of other things that PA Family Institute is involved in. You can get their newsletter as well and have it come right to you. And I love the fact that it's uh, something where you can, you know, get educated. We talked about that with Charlie Kirk the other day, the importance of being a citizen, yes, of the, uh, of the next world and going to heaven, but also right now, right here. Let's pay attention and let's be involved in a godly way. And that includes being informed. So there you go, pafamily.org for more info on that. Thanks to uh, our guest today. We actually replayed our conversation with John Oates of Daryl Hall and John Oates. And we also uh, had Hanukkah Greensmith earlier from Chicago Fire. That'll do it for the show. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful night. Uh, Alistair Begg, Truth for Life. Up next, Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.